Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Anne, Chelsea's mother. And today is our one-year anniversary episode. Woohoo! <laughs> We've been doing it for a whole year. Hard to believe. So in this episode, we're just going to recap all the topics we've done before. Yeah, we thought it would be a good idea just to look back at the last year, go through the episodes, see what we learned. We've come a long way from learning how to have a podcast, learning how to edit, and then all the things that we've learned from you, the listeners, and our guests has just been phenomenal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've had a great first year, and I'm excited to see what we do next. Yeah, when we started this, I remember thinking, Chelsea came to me and asked me to do the podcast, which was wonderful. I was shocked that she wanted to do a podcast. Not only did she want to do a podcast, but she wanted to do a podcast about selective mutism. Um, So, of course, I said (laughs) yes right away, um, because I would do anything to help support her and anything that she wants to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are a year later, still doing it, which is actually quite unbelievable. We weren't sure if we would have five people listening, um, but it's been great. It's been a great experience. Mm-hmm. And the best thing for me about it is the feedback that we get mm-hmm. from people. Um, yeah, we love hearing from you. Yeah, that's been amazing. It's the it, best part. Yeah. Which kind of proves the point, I guess, of why we're doing the podcast or why you wanted to do the podcast. Mm -hmm. Every time we get a review or an email or a text or something, it just reinforces um, that it, you know, that selective mutism really did need a podcast or a voice that just, that was kind of a void. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of you for taking this on and sticking with it Mm because I know it's not easy all the time. Yeah. So good for you. Thank you. Speaking of feedback, I have a review from Facebook, which you can leave reviews on Facebook as well as Apple Podcasts. I have one from Mira who says, I'm a school social worker and have really struggled to get help for one of my students, a teenager who was just diagnosed last year. The Out Loud podcast has helped me understand what my student and the student's family is experiencing. I've shared the podcast and a few Facebook pages with family and teachers in the school. Um, with hopes that it will educate them so we can better support this teen. It gives me hope for the student, and I hope my student is listening and knows that it does get better. Thank you for sharing your experiences. That's great. I found that was a great one. Thank you so much. And I hope the teen is listening. I hope you're listening. (laughs) If you are, let me know. I really want people with selective mutism to listen. Yeah, and I also want, I think going forward, I would like... So far, we're just, I've been sharing my experiences, but it's so different for every person that I think it would be great to hear from other people who have overcome selective mutism. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what I want to do Mm -hmm. in the future. And Chelsea just put together a webpage. So we now have a webpage and there is a section on there for people to contact us. Mm -hmm. So maybe if somebody is listening and you'd like to share your story, you could go onto the website, um... Click contact us, and there's a button to email us on there. And the name of the website specifically is? Outloudsm.com. Yeah, and there's all kinds of stuff on there now. I put all our episodes up. There's a little bit about my story of selective mutism. And I also added resources so that you can find other 
um, websites and I put a whole bunch of books on there about selective mutism that I think are good. Yeah, and there is a spot for people to sign up with email. So please sign up for email if you want to get, you know, the late, every time Chelsea adds things or whatever, um, or we just have special events or anything going on in the, you know, forthcoming year. Mm -hmm. You'll be the first to know. So should we start with the first episode? Yeah, let's take a listen. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if we should, but <laughs> let's, no, I think let's we've, do it. We've come a long way. Kids with selective mutism are trying their hardest to talk. It's uncomfortable to be the only one who's not talking. Yeah. And you really want to. I don't think it's mm -hmm. you're withholding talking to right. be controlling. But I do. I will say that I am a stubborn person. But I think the stubbornness helped me overcome right. selective mutism. Yeah, because you're always hardest on yourself. So that was our first episode, part of it. And I thought it was important to sort of discuss or to, to touch upon the fact that selective mutism is not oppositional behavior. It's not children being stubborn um, because this is such a misconception about kids that have selective mutism. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you were saying that you are stubborn or you have some stubborn traits to your personality, but that actually came as a strength because mm -hmm. you were determined to overcome this. Um, but it's not certainly not the cause of selective mutism, as some people believe. So I just think it's great that, at least in the first episode, we did touch upon that. Yeah. Because that is so important to get across. Yeah, I do think it can seem like stubbornness, but I can tell you that every day I went in wishing I could talk, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not talking today. Important point to keep in mind, mm -hmm. and um, just always remember that if you are dealing with a child with selective mutism. Mm -hmm. Okay, what else, um, I think, did we cover? What yeah. else did we cover on that first episode? Yeah, we have one more clip. And I remember, I think, when you were, like, in preschool or something, the first time people approached me about it, they didn't believe me that you actually spoke at home nonstop, um, that it wasn't, that I had never saw it as being a problem because nobody had ever approached me about it before. So I thought this was important for the first episode because this is how many parents find out that their child is not speaking in a public place. Um, certainly for me, I mean, yes, we knew something was a little different or something wasn't quite right, but until somebody approached me and told me that Chelsea wasn't speaking at school, I had no idea. Yeah. So this recently, like, I mean, like today or yesterday, I can't remember, <laughs> every day blurs together, but there was a teacher on Twitter who asked this question, they said, there's a kid in my class who hasn't talked, um, like, since the beginning of the year or whatever, and I guess that hasn't been that long, unless it was an old tweet. But anyway, mm -hmm. they said, what do I do? And it's like, well, the first thing to do is tell the parent, because a lot of the parents don't even know this is a problem yet. Exactly. And I think with selective mutism, that is so very common. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people might hesitate to tell the parent or have that discussion with the parent. And I can, you know, I can kind of understand that, but... You don't even, you don't need to suggest a diagnosis or anything or try to find the cure. You're just telling them what you have observed in your class. Right. You're not saying anything's wrong with the child. You're just saying, by the way. Yes. Right? Okay. I think we've definitely come a long way with editing as well as just confidence. I feel like I sound like I'm very nervous. <laughs> the first one. <laughs> well, we were. We were nervous. Yes, we were very nervous. And that's perfectly normal. And it used to be <laughs> awkward, even though it still is. 
Okay. So our next episode was back to school with SM. We talked a lot about, I think, about your school experiences. So let's take a listen. So just to clarify, I was speaking at home um, mm-hmm. and not at school. Like, I guess one-on-one with my one friend I would talk at school as long as no one was listening. Right. <laughs> and other than that, I was silent at school. And not just silent. Well, yes, yeah, silent, but mm-hmm. also all the issues that go along with that. Right. I had a lot of anxiety about school. Attendance was big, so I just remember like waiting <laughs> for my name to be called and like trying to prepare myself and it would just like get to me and I couldn't get the words out. And then from that day on, it just felt like I was not going to talk for the rest of the day because I couldn't do attendance or I couldn't answer other kids or respond like when teacher called on me. This kind of just shows like the cycle of SM. I just feel like there is such, you lose momentum so easily. Like if there's one day you don't talk to someone or you don't do a certain thing, then it's kind of ruined for you. Or it feels, it's like contamination that Dr. Kurtz talks about. Hmm. Um, it's But it's almost like the situation became contaminated. Like attendance didn't go well, so now it's ruined. Or it's kind of like, it's something about perfectionism too, I think. Right. Someone, like a new kid approached me to talk to me and I couldn't respond to them, then it's kind of ruined. But on some occasions there were kids that talked to me and for some reason I was able to respond and that just never became a cycle with them. And I do think that's part of why it's hard to break out of that. I know as a parent it was heartbreaking to find out that you weren't actually participating mm-hmm. in something as easy as attendance. But attendance is hard. Even, I don't know, it's like not even a single interaction. It's you having to talk in front of a whole class. Mm-hmm. At well, the very beginning of the day. Right. Well, it's hard if you have selective mutism or Correct. anxiety, but for, you know, yeah. what parent would think that their child's not able to participate yeah. in attendance? Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Even just, like, playing with other kids was a no. I couldn't get up and use the bathroom or get up and sharpen a pencil. Like, anything that would draw attention to me, I wouldn't do. So we've talked about in more recent episodes about uh, all the other issues that go along with selective mutism that are not related to speech. You know, I just think it's an important issue or whatever to not just focus on the speech, but to realize that there's so many other issues. Every minute of your life, you feel like somebody is staring at you Mm -hmm. and looking at you. So the simplest of things, like reaching to get a tissue or reaching to pick up your pencil um, are not easy for someone with selective mutism. Right. And so there's, you know, just little kids in school, it does affect your learning. Yep. Um, Asking to go to the bathroom, I just think those things are so important, and a lot of people don't understand that that's related to selective mutism. Right, we did get a lot of comments, like, I didn't realize this was even related, and like, the amount of people that also have toileting issues with selective mutism is crazy, as well as sensory processing disorder, mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, general anxiety about your day mm-hmm. that is not just related to speaking. Our third episode was preschool problems, where we talked a lot about, like, toileting. What else did we talk about? I guess that was kind of where I first started having issues, but where it was more noticeable that I was not 
going to talk in certain situations. And we also got our very first review on Apple Podcasts from Run Mama Run, who is a mom of a 13-year-old girl with SM. So thank you so much for leaving a five-star review and being the first one to do it. It feels like the whole universe is just, like, controlling your life and you have no control over anything and things are just happening to you. So I think it's important. Like, I always wanted to know what was coming next and I wanted to schedule, know what I can expect for the day. So what I thought was important about that, what I took from that was the feeling of loss of control. And that just speaks volumes to me. So as a parent, you know, you can understand that and how that must feel. So just to encourage, you know, asking, giving choices um, allows somebody to feel some control Mm -hmm. over certain parts of their life. So even just simple things, do you want apple juice or orange juice? Just give them a choice. Everything you can think of, let them choose Mm -hmm. at home so they have that sense of control. We talk about this too with Dr. Elisa Shippenbloom, who said she likes to give um, her clients more control in their own therapy so kids get to choose their own goals and like even as they get older they get even more involved so I thought that was important for mm-hmm. people with SM. Right I think it's important I guess the discussion between the parent and the teachers so the teachers can recognize that it's not acting up or being fussy or throwing a tantrum but that it's anxiety mm-hmm. and that the child needs um, to feel safe. Yeah, I think this shows how important it is to be educating teachers and to continue educating teachers, including professionals as well, because even professionals seem to not know everything about selective mutism. So it's great to advocate for your children and I think just for any kid. Like, you just think if a kid is throwing tantrums and having a hard time, that means they're having a hard time and they're communicating that through their tantrum. Um So I think the goal is always to look for the reason that that's happening rather than just punishing a child without knowing why it's happening. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So the next episode we did was episode four. And um, this one was my idea to do like a QA and a where I would ask Chelsea questions and she had no idea what the questions were. So I thought this was brilliant. We were going to do it reverse so that you had to answer them and we never did. We never got to it. But um, looking back... I really don't know if I like the idea for this episode because I really felt like I really put you on the spot and I didn't really realize how doing this podcast, you're really making yourself vulnerable and exposing yourself. This episode kind of really highlights that for me. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a special episode. Yeah, I think I share a lot mm-hmm. and I kind of forget what I shared and I probably <laughs> will never listen to it again. But here's a clip from it. What is your earliest memory of having selective mutism? Probably in preschool. Do you remember what the incident was? Not like a specific. I just remember kids trying to talk to me and getting frustrated that I wouldn't answer them. Then they would just run away. How did that make you feel? I don't know. I think looking back on this, it doesn't highlight how much I remembered because I just, that's not a very specific memory. And I have so many specific memories from preschool. Um, just kids like saying things like, why don't you talk? Or she doesn't talk. Do you still know people who knew you as a child when you didn't talk? I do. I'm actually friends with a handful of people and it's interesting. They've been listening to the podcast and a lot of, (laughs) a lot of them have told me that they don't remember me that way and they didn't realize like what I was going through. Like when I talk to friends, they're like, oh yeah, 
you were just shy, like we were all shy, I was shy too, but they didn't see it as me being completely different, which is interesting, because I felt like I stood out right, we so put, much. Yeah. It's funny how you think, like, everyone is noticing you, I guess, when you're different, but in reality, people are focused on other things, and you're not the center of attention, like you feel you are, so I feel like that's important to know that anxiety can kind of twist how you are interpreting things. Right, change your perception maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, you feel like you're the center of attention, but other people are actually not focusing on you. Mm-hmm. So it's good to remember that, people that are going through this now. In sixth grade, when you change schools, do you think you would have been ready to change schools sooner? I think it was probably the perfect time. Maybe mm. like one year before. I don't think I would be ready to be put in a new school and start talking before mm. that. Like just... At that point, I was just ready to start over. Because you get to a point where you're like ready to talk, but the the fear of like everyone's reaction is so much bigger than... It just makes you more afraid. So I always tell people that switching schools in seventh grade was like a big turning point. Um, because I had a fresh start, and it was new kids that I'd never met before, so I could just start talking to them without it being crazy or getting a big reaction. So the next episode was um, about sensory processing disorder. I think we got a lot of good feedback from this. I think people liked this one and found it very relatable, which is so interesting that so many kids with SM also have sensory issues. So here's the clip. So I have a few signs and symptoms. A lot of them, I guess you already said, but just to summarize different signs you might see in kids who have sensory processing disorder, that they're easily overwhelmed in certain situations or in certain spaces, and they often seek out quiet spaces. They're easily startled by sights or sounds, and they're bothered by bright light, and then they refuse to wear certain textures of clothing. I often call things itchy or scratchy. Scratchy. You'd say scratchy. jeans, Mm -hmm. especially. Another sign is avoiding touch or hugging. And then I also have the difficulty with different textures and smells of certain foods, and that can also lead to a limited diet. So this just tells about all different kinds of signs that your child might have some sensory issues. We actually did another episode with Maureen recently about the sensitive child. Highly sensitive child. Highly sensitive child. And we talked a lot about different sensory input and Mm -hmm. sensory issues. That's another good episode on this one if that's something that interests you. But it did get to a point where I just felt like I was doing you a disservice. Mm -hmm. I felt like you were missing out on your childhood and you were verbalizing to me that you felt different and you didn't want to be different than the other children Mm -hmm. and you couldn't participate in things. Um, And I could see kids leaving you out of activities because they just kind of gave up on you a bit. I think the older you get, it gets harder. This is when Chelsea and I were discussing uh, medication and, um, you know, it's a tough topic. Um, I don't think any parent wants to have their child, especially a toddler, um, or, you know, first or second grader on medication. So it's a really hard decision, and there's a lot that goes into making that decision. Um, but I did end up deciding to put my child on medication um, for the reasons that we just discussed. You have to think of quality of life, like what experience is the kid going through, because I was very anxious, and just lowering that anxiety with medication allowed me to 
be able to do mm-hmm. other things and to challenge myself that I don't know if I could have done without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a tough road, but that certainly lowered the bar. Mm-hmm. I hated sports a lot of the time. But like the ballet tap, gymnastics, yeah. drawing, like some drawing was one-on-one. But, like, you asked to do the lessons. Yeah. But then, I mean, it was tough, and it's not easy. You know, a key feature um, with success for selective mutism is allowing the child to have opportunities so that they can either succeed or maybe fail at times. But you have to have those opportunities so that you can try, so the kids can try. I think a lot of it take you have to take into what they're ready for and what they want to do because I... Mm-hmm. I wanted to do those things, even though I wasn't really able to fully participate in them. I think it was still important that it was something I wanted to do. It wasn't something that I was forced into. Exactly. So the question is how to get my six-year-old to say hello, or at least wave hello, and say thank you and goodbye. So these are often some of the hardest things for selective mutism, these like routine Um, expected responses that you're supposed to have and I think you should start with waving if she's not even waving you start very small I think this was like a big theme that we always point to where you need to meet the child where they're at and if that's not verbal yet you start smaller you start with nonverbal types of communication can then lead to verbal and there if you want to learn more about that we go way into detail with Dr. E about her communication bridge and that kind of breaks it down even more. If she said she did it, she got the sticker. Um, Because in her mind, if she thought she did it, that was good enough. I don't believe that. You don't agree with that? No. You're hurting my behavior analyst heart. As you can tell, the podcast is not scripted. (laughs) No. We just talk, so we don't always agree on everything. But um... It's hard for me because I see how it was for myself but then I have all this like behavior analysis background that is like arguing with certain things and I think it's a balance of knowing um, what a child can handle and what's really benefiting them without damaging them emotionally or something Mm -hmm. it's like and I think that is interesting because your since your education and your degree is in behavior analysis um I think that's got to be tough for you because part of you, like the podcast is actually about your experiences with SM, but now you are more educated and you have knowledge about behavior analysis. So Mm -hmm. I think that's got to be somehow like a conflict of, I don't know. It's weird. It's two different perspectives. It feels like two different views for me. Yeah, that's interesting. So in the next episode, we actually reviewed an SCAT article, which is... Dr. Elisa Shippenblum's protocol for treating selective mutism. And I guess we just kind of thought that we shouldn't be inviting guests on this early, like we're nobodies and who would want to come on our podcast. Um, But this episode led to her coming on, and then we made the same mistake later with Dr. Kurtz. (laughs) (laughs) We were newbies. And this is the first time that I'm being made aware of an SMQ. Yeah, I've I don't never heard know. Of it either. Yeah, I don't know when that was developed. It looks like 2008 based on this. Okay. This episode was us reviewing an article on the um SCAT and the uh we did talk about the SMQ which I just wanted to point out that 
you know, Chelsea and I, the podcast is really our perspective. Mm -hmm. um, we do like to, I guess maybe because of our backgrounds, we'd like to research articles and find the latest information that's out there on selective mutism. Um, so both, neither one of us had actually heard about the SMQ. So that's another reason why I enjoy doing the podcast is that we actually, I mean, we are learning mm -hmm. as we go along, um, you know, what's new in the field. We're trying to make it useful for people who are going through it now rather than the lack of resources we had when we were going through it. Exactly. Yeah. But they're using props and toys to get kids to make sounds. So they start with like, they use an example of blowing bubbles and, or blowing a feather across the table so that you have to make like a sound when you're blowing. And you're also making like a puff sound when you pop your cheeks. So I think this was kind of confusing to read about without knowing more and going through the process and Dr. E kind of went way more into detail about this later on in another episode but it was just kind of hard for us to understand how this works and how it is effective mm -hmm. but breaking down words into smaller sounds makes it more manageable for kids with selective mutism and I think that's pretty interesting. And I didn't realize as a parent until we actually kind of read this article that it is true, um, at least with you it was true, that you did not want to make any sounds that would bring attention to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember sometimes if I tried to get you to say something and you wouldn't, and I would just leave the room, and then I would hear you whisper it to yourself, like to practice it. Oh. So it is kind of interesting, like making any sound is actually progress yeah. on your journey to becoming verbal with selective mutism. It was right. interesting. Mm-hmm. First of all, we always say this, but you need to start with a fun and trusting relationship before you start demanding these um, challenging experiences. So exposures always smart start really small, and then they build up. In this episode, we talk about exposure therapy and how to plan exposures. And I think this clip just kind of shows how important building rapport is which is something we focus on in ABA as well. But with kids with selective mutism, I think trust is very important and necessary to make any progress. They have to feel safe with you. So when you say exposure therapy, it's basically practice, pra mm -hmm. uh, opportunities to practice your skill. It's facing your fears. So, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's our dog. <laughs> and it. This episode was, um, you know, at a busy time in our lives. I was actually just getting back from a trip to Japan. Uh, Chelsea had written her exams and was waiting for her results from her BCBA. It was awful. Um, I passed. Yeah. I'm a BCBA now. <laughs> um, we, yeah, so when we record, we usually never let the dog in the room. But I think for this episode, somehow he got in there and we thought, oh, we'll just let him stay. Mm -hmm. um, so he got to join in on the podcast yeah i thought it was neat he said avoiding is a coping mechanism mm -hmm. which is true but... and it's effective <laughs> right this clip was about avoiding and um i hadn't really thought of this but as a teen chelsea used to sleep a lot and my husband and i would often wonder you know is it just tip i mean she's a teenager that's typical or is she avoiding is she I don't want to say fake sleeping, but um, it's just good to keep that in mind that if you do have a teenager who is sleeping an awful lot during the day, 
perhaps they're avoiding certain situations and that's their coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Or it's an escape from anxiety. Exactly. Okay, but say I am 18 years old right now and I will not talk to anyone. Like, how are you going to motivate me? Um, yeah, so here we were arguing about using money as an incentive for or as a reward to reinforce, um, like, exp- doing exposures, which I still stand by. <laughs> I was just being cheap. <laughs> yeah, I just think, yeah. It's not about bribery. It's about finding what motivates a kid, and maybe that's, like earning a new video game, or maybe it's an ice cream sundae, or maybe it's, I don't know, a t-shirt with a favorite band on it or something, but you have to find what motivates them, and it's not bribery, it's them working with you to meet a goal that they want to work on, and then celebrating it. Okay, so PCIT-SM was developed specifically to treat selective mutism, because of its young age of onset, um, other therapies like CBT, like cognitive behavior therapy approaches that would normally use to treat anxiety, um, are not as effective for like little children, especially when they won't talk to their therapist. So this episode was about PCIT-SM, which was developed by Dr. Stephen Kurtz. I guess we didn't think he would want to come on the podcast, so we didn't even bother asking, and we just (laughs) reviewed an article about him, Um, but that led to him coming on later, so Mm -hmm. I guess it worked out. So I feel like we didn't really talk about this that much, but, like, the whole, like, cool part about PCIT is how they have what they call, like, the bug in the ear, which is, like, a little earpiece, and that's what they're using, like, in the initial, um child-directed interaction where they're actually speaking to the parent through the earpiece and coaching them on how to respond to their child. If you want to learn more about PCIT-SM, I definitely would tell you to go to KurtzPsychology.com. You can also watch videos on there of the, um, I believe they show fade-ins and using the bug in the ear to coach parents. So that's a really cool part of that therapy. So our very first guest on the podcast was Jonathan Kohlmeyer, who I actually met doing Brave Buddies with Dr. Stephen Kurtz. He was one of Dr. Kurtz's patients um, growing up, and he um, overcame SM and wrote a book about it called Learning to Play the Game, My Journey Through Silence. Uh, You can read or you can buy that on Amazon and read it. Um, We asked him a lot of questions about his book and just his experience with selective mutism. So here's Jonathan. Like, how did he work with you in school? It was was all fade-ins, all exposure therapy. So first off, it would just be me and my mom in my classroom before school even started. Mm -hmm. Um, Then just me my mom and him, then just us with the teacher, like in the doorway or sitting at her desk working, then progressively closer and closer. It's, it's all that kind of repeated exposure practice, very small baby steps. In the middle of eighth grade, we had a lot of difficulties just even going to school. Gym class was still very difficult. Health class, giving presentations, just walking the halls when there's so many kids walking around. There's more expectations on you when you're that age. 
puberty, kids being bullies, kids being mean. It was just a lot. At the time, I did not like people who pushed me because it was painful. Mm -hmm. I did not like Dr. Kurtz sometimes. Now we talk a lot. Uh, I consider him a friend. Um, but at the time, I really disliked anybody who pushed me out of my comfort zone. But now I'm very thankful that they did it. Jonathan was a great guest to have on the show. Um, you know, just a great speaker about his experiences. But I thought this was important because as a parent, even especially for teens, I think it's tough for parents to be tough. Not to be mean, but to be tough with your expectations of a selective mutism child towards their goals. And I think Jonathan points this out. You know, they're not always going to be happy with you at the time, in the moment. But looking back, hopefully, they will see that you were helping them. Mm -hmm. We want to thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. Go check out his book on Amazon. Our next episode is Potty Talk, which we tried to cover the all the toileting issues but i don't know if we did a great job i sing in this episode yes you can go check that out if you're interested she sings the super duper pooper song for a, a child who's like really uncomfortable using the bathroom even going inside the bathroom you want to make the bathroom like a really fun place and a safe space yeah. and most of these kids don't they know like they don't need to be taught it's just learning to, um, like, self-monitor themselves and know when they need the bathroom and be able to plan, like, how am I going to get to the bathroom? Because I think a big problem is being able to ask at school. The next episode was when we finally had Dr. Stephen Kurtz on, who is an expert in the selective mutism world. We are very lucky to have him on, so thank you for coming on, Dr. Kurtz. And we apologize for talking about his articles first without approaching him. And um, I think we were just, you know, beginners and we were very naive. And that was an oversight on our part. But we were thrilled to have him on and we'd love to have him back anytime. Yes. Intensive treatments, needless to say, are more expensive, but they're also more effective. And they may actually provide the minimum dose you need to jumpstart good treatment. About half of our kids have co-recurring social anxiety disorder in addition to SM. This was important because Dr. Kurtz had mentioned to us that Chelsea was cured from SM. And we questioned that, and we hadn't realized until that point that she had social anxiety and was not suffering from selective mutism any longer. So we thought mm -hmm. that was interesting. Um, telehealth is proving to be a very, very robust effective way to deliver treatment. Admittedly, the laws in different jurisdictions have not caught up with the technology of doing this well. Mm -hmm. So I am allowed, for example, to write to the Oregon Board of Psychology and say, I have a six-year-old kid in Bend, Oregon. There's no resources there. I'm the go-to guy. This family wants me. Will you give me permission to do therapy? And they will say yes. I can go to California with a New Jersey license and practice 30 days out of a year without even notifying the board. But I can't go 15 miles east of me to Connecticut without obtaining a full Connecticut license. So every day I am turning away Connecticut families. I mean, you, you live in New Hampshire. You know how close I am to Connecticut. Yeah. I could probably hold my breath and walk there. 
So the laws haven't caught up with the technology. Because when it comes to anxiety, we hope that you can eventually learn to do without them. Other accommodations aren't going anywhere. If you're deaf, you're blind, these are, you know, to some extent, permanent disabilities that will always require accommodation. So I'm not saying all accommodations need to be faded. But the ones that we put in place are meant to be until we give you the skills to be able to do the thing that you're not able to do. I think the point he makes is super important. Um, you know, all the accommodations, whatever you might have for selective mutism, that those uh, these goals and everything that we're making, those are all meant to be temporary. Um, because, the, of course, the goal is that you're going to progress and you won't need those same um, accommodations any longer. And I just wanted to point out that's the goal. Mm -hmm. And in ABA, we always say, well, you should do this. If you make a goal or if you come up with an intervention, you need to also have a plan to fade it. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, with any treatment plan, you're always reevaluating the plan mm -hmm. and tweaking it and making new goals. It's a, you know, it's should always be in motion. Right. It's interesting. I, like for me personally, I, I never had PCIT, but I always found it easier, which is weird because uh, making presentations was one of the hardest things, but I would do presentations where I hadn't talked to everyone in my class before, but doing that showed them that I do talk and that kind of breaks the ice for the whole class in one act, yeah. which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen that as well. It breaks the, I know that you know that I know that I actually talk. Yeah, like even <laughs> if it's not a direct conversation with yeah. your classmate. Yes, it's proof positive. Yeah. Chelsea does in fact speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember being with a kid once and uh, doing a uh, pull out in a OT room or something with a friend for the first time. And the kid looks at me and he says, he talks. I said, I know he talks. You like how he talks? He said, yes. I said, so tell him. He says, Michael, I like how you talk. And then they went on and played. <laughs> oh, that's cute. The next episode was, I believe, at the beginning of coronavirus. Um, and we are trying to come up with go goals that you can work on from home that are kind of easy to do. So we thought of just reading out loud and trying to work on that goal. So what we talked about before a bit where you said you started the sentence and left the last word to me, that's right. kind of what we would call shaping in ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. So I do that too with my clients where who are starting to learn how to read and we're just trying to get them to vocalize more. And that's a great way to kind of um, prompt vocalization just to leave off the last word and especially if it's a word that you know they already know, like you said, and they're mm -hmm. likely to be able to be successful. Our next episode was Talking Teens with Dr. Elisa Shippenbloom. Um, she was an amazing guest, and we thank her so much for coming on. She has so much knowledge to share. I feel like it's just this episode is packed with so much um, useful information. That if you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it or... If you've already listened to it, you could go back and learn something new. You know, the typical family member or the typical situation with school that will contact us, especially because we get so many from far away, is that they haven't been able to be successful in some of these programs 
that are focusing on speech when there's so much more than speech going on. And as my colleagues know, it isn't about treating to speak. It's about understanding the whole person. And you know what? It isn't just understanding their stages are wise. It's parenting dynamics. It plays a tremendous role. And especially as children age and how that parenting dynamic plays a role. It's everything. And so many of these children have eating issues, toileting issues, behavioral issues, sleeping issues. It's so much more than not speaking. So we have to address all of these challenges that this family, this child is going through at home in the school environment. And that's why treating the whole person makes the most sense. I think one of my favorite parts of Dr. E's um, perspective on selective mutism is that she sees it as a whole picture type of thing as more than just speech. And there's so much more that goes into it rather than just hyper-focusing on trying to get a kid to talk. So we want to thank you again for coming on the show, Dr. E, and hopefully we can have you on again soon. So episode 18 and 19 were um, social distancing goals and about wearing a mask. So if your kid is having trouble wearing a mask, go check that out if you haven't already. Episode 20 was called Assessing Selective Mutism, which we looked at a functional assessment of selective mutism to kind of look at what are the causes of selective mutism for different people and how to make an individualized treatment plan. So you can go check that out if you're interested in that. The next episode was with my speech-language pathologist friend, Meg. Um, She was great insight into the speech role of treating selective mutism. Um, she, I guess we kind of, the takeaway from that episode was that it's an interdisciplinary approach where you need professionals from each field and not just one from speech or one from OT or one from psych. You need like a team effort to have like a well-rounded treatment. We all have different background knowledge Mm -hmm. in communication or, um, anxiety depending your specialty, we all have such specific knowledge that I think it can be helpful Mm -hmm. because we know about the social aspects of language and communication, but I would never want to see someone with selective mutism just seeing a speech therapist. Right. I just, part of it is like, next episode was back to school after this pandemic that we've been having. I think a lot of kids have gone back to school now, so this is definitely a relevant topic. You really need to be communicating with the the parents and the child. Ask the child what you mm-hmm. can do to help them. You need to figure out what you can do to change the environment to make it easier for them. Yep. And be open to that. And I'd say all, stop yeah. focusing on trying to get them to talk. Like You probably exactly. see that as the goal. Um, and I would say focus more on making it a safe space for them and being a safe person for them. And they'll never forget you if you are someone who is helpful. Right, who reached out, who they and felt tries. like you've got them, mm-hmm. who was trying to help them. It's just um, life-changing. This was our most recent episode where we had Maureen from the thehighlysensitivechild.com come on and tell us about her experience with raising two highly sensitive boys and one with selective mutism. And I found this to be very relatable and just probably relatable to everyone listening. 
with highly sensitive people, they can be easily overwhelmed, but um, it's, it's more situational. Like their, their sensory signals aren't disorganized, but um, they're just heightened depending on the environment. That makes, that makes sense. So I also saw you created like a, it's called My Book of Brave. So I was wondering what that's all about. Sure. So that kind of stems from something we did as like a therapy for my son when he was going through selective mutism, basically a way to recognize his feelings, um, talk about them so that he then had control over those feelings. For anyone interested in purchasing Maureen's book, uh, My Book of Brave, it's also available on amazon.com. Thank you for coming on, Maureen. Yeah, that was great information. Hey there, this is Anne, Chelsea's mom. As we were getting things together to do the first anniversary episode of Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, I was just thinking about the last year. As a lot of you know, a year ago, Chelsea came to me and asked if I'd do a podcast with her about selective mutism. I'm not sure I even had listened to a podcast at that time, but without a second thought, I said, sure like any mom would do, especially a mom who raised a child with selective mutism. Honestly, I probably would say yes to anything that Chelsea asked me to do because she has the strength, the willpower to do it. How can I, how could I say no? And when you have a child that struggled to accomplish things her entire life, pushed herself through the most nerve-wracking situations, whether she was lightheaded, she would be trembling, fainting, frozen with fear, stressed, unable to eat, or even move in front of other people, you're willing to do just about anything that they ask you to do. I find it kind of ironic that my child, who had selective mutism, wants to talk online for all the world to hear about her childhood journey through selective mutism. Like, who could, who could have thought that, right? Uh, I remember having a discussion with my husband um, about whether or not she would be able to call 911 if she needed to, or answer a police officer if she got pulled over when she started driving or just have a normal teenage experience. But here we are, we're doing the podcast about a very, the very issue that has caused her so much anguish in her life. Are there worse things your child could go through? Absolutely. But selective mutism and anxiety can change a life. And I'm so proud of Chelsea for all that she does. She just continues to push herself, challenge herself, and not let it hold her back from any dreams, her ambitions. A year ago, we thought even if five people listen, maybe we would help them overcome selective mutism too. Just helping one person would be enough. We have been overwhelmed with the comments, the emails, the DMs, the feedback that we've received from doing the podcast. Uh, during Chelsea's childhood, we never really spoke about selective mutism, not to our friends or family, like you know, most people will say, oh, it's shyness, or she's just stubborn, or she'll grow out of that. Not even her pediatrician really spoke of it, even after she was diagnosed. Everybody seems to have advice, but I know and you know, they just don't get it. Um, we're trying to change that with the podcast. Have we made mistakes on the podcast? Sure we have. We're not polished up like we're professional like a lot of the other podcasts. Um, but we share us and our experiences. A few episodes in, I actually got cold feet. And I said to Chelsea, um, you know, do you think we should really be doing this? 
I think I was feeling protective of her. You know, she's exposing herself out there, her life, her thoughts to the world with a podcast. And we talk about some pretty personal things sometimes. I'm prouder than ever of Chelsea. Uh, my hope is that in continuing with the podcast, we can help you all through your selective mutism journey, help you be proactive, perhaps reassure you that you're definitely not alone going through this, and that you can overcome selective mutism. Work on it every day and change your child's life. I'm sure Chelsea wouldn't mind me speaking um, to all of you and saying thank you to anyone that has listened, commented, subscribed to the podcast. It's the comments and the interactions that we have from you, hearing your stories, your struggles, your successes, that is truly inspiring and keeps us going. So please continue to listen, share the podcast out loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, because it's everything Chelsea wishes she could have said out loud.